Taylor Swift argues for a better deal for more Spotify artists. Samsung's S10 may be absolutely massive, and we find out how good a Netflix Christmas really is. It's all coming up on the Senior UK Podcast, episode 548. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Andrew Hoyle and joining me today is Rich Trenholm. Oh wait, no, you don't. Is that Rich? <laughs> oh no, wait, it's Katie Collins. No, it, no, it is Rich. Oh, it is Rich. Uh, I'm just very good at disguising myself. As Katie Collins, European yes, correspondent. Exactly, that's me, Rich Trenholm, in here. Just just confirm for me that you are actually Katie Collins. Um, okay then, fine, I am, I am Katie Collins. Well, that's good, because <laughs> I've tailored this show a little bit around you, and I do mean that pun to be as good as it was. I have tailored the show in that I'm talking about Taylor Swift, your your BFF, your what fave. What a very natural segue that was into well, th- our first news story. I thought so too. This is our first news story. You're absolutely right to say it in those precise words. Um, because Taylor Swift has got a new record deal uh, with Universal. And you may be thinking, well, what the hell has that got to do with seen it? And you, you're probably still be thinking that at the end of the story. But we're going to try... <laughs> Anyway, because you think this is relevant and you're going to tell us why, aren't you? Absolutely. So um, the the background to this story is that Taylor Swift has signed a brand new record deal. It's the first time in her career since she first signed her record deal at the age of 14 that she's done so. 14? Yes. She's been in that deal since she was 14. Yes, she has. I wonder if her terms have changed as she's got, (laughs) you know... Become an international megastar. Um, but so this this new deal, the one um, that she's had, obviously had um, all of the big record labels uh, kind of bidding for her. Mm. Um, but uh, the thing that's kind of that literally has sealed the deal for her is that she um, wanted to make sure that there was a specific clause to do with Spotify front and center. Okay, um, she never wants to be on it again. Is that right? <laughs> that's not it at all. Oh. Um, so. Effectively, all of the big record labels have uh, shares in Spotify since the company went public. Um, now, um, when uh, the, there are sort of rumours that Universal Music Group is going to sell its shares next year um, in Spotify, and what Taylor wanted was for um, all of the artists that are signed to Universal to get a share of the money should... Um, should Universal Music Group cash in on on its equity? That seems like a good a good positive move. Yes, on Taylor's part, indeed. And um, Universal has agreed to this, and to um, also to make sure that it's not um, it's not recouped. It doesn't kind kind of collect um, unrecouped money um, through the through the shares. So effectively, if artists um, owe outstanding money to the label for for whatever reason, it's not going to offset the money that that it gets from these shares against that amount. So it, no matter what happens, no matter what the kind of financial situation is between the label and the artist... They get a nice bonus. They will get... Every single artist will get money. You know what? I'm not entirely sure I I, I agree with that. Or maybe I just don't understand it in quite the right terms. Because in, in a nutshell, the way recording contracts tend to work is, is, is a, a, a record label will effectively upfront the cost of a band's... Um, music production or the tour or you know they, they basically give them this upfront amount of cash whether that's 10 grand or 100 grand or whatever and the band basically earns money by releasing albums and by touring and pays that money off that is effectively a loan now I, I'm not really like 
the, the label is owed that money by the band. So I'm not sure if they were to sell those shares and, and then say to the band, well, here is effectively, I don't know, you would get £20,000 from the sale of a Spotify money, but we're keeping that and knocking it off your debt. Like, that's still money that they'd be paying back. I don't necessarily see that, as long as they do, as long as that is knocked off in some way, as long as it isn't just more profit for Universal. Um, but if it if it is still knocked off that debt, I, that's still money, effectively money for the artist. I think the, the whole point of this is that streaming um as a kind of um, a way of making money for artists has been extremely volatile um you know a lot of artists feel like they're being high, like very much undercompensated and um, yeah. it's take it takes ages for the money to get between you know from from when we as consumers are streaming a song for the money to arrive in the bank account mm. of the artist there's so many hands takes, in that yeah, pot yeah it takes a, a long time um, and often they're not compensated the way that they should. And I think that this is a way of investing in creators long term, saying to um, writers, to artists, to producers, um, you know, you, uh, streaming is, is, is an incredibly volatile, difficult industry for you. But what we want is for, you know, you, we want you to keep doing what you're doing. We want you to keep whatever your kind of talent is and your skill is and, and whatever kind of music you're making. We want you in the long term to feel like you this is a profitable industry for you that mm. you can you can keep uh, making this amazing music that we're all effectively profiting. Off. Sure. So I so I think that that's basically that it's is a nice kind gesture, of effectively, then, isn't it? It is, it is. And it's it's an important, it's it's a show of support to the artist. It's a show of, um, you know, it's it's a real, because a lot of artists struggle with this. And, you know, it's, it's, it's okay for big artists like Taylor Swift, who, have, you know, Taylor has got a long history with Spotify where she pulled all of her music off. Um, for and three years, she yeah, she didn't have any of her music time. on on Spotify. That's a big deal. Yeah, and so and but when she rejoined the service, you know the 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 terms were slightly renegotiated slightly, but it, but we don't know how, hard. do we? That was that that we, no. we don't know exactly what those terms but are. But it's, it's hard for smaller artists and uh, and you know more independent artists and whatever to make that kind of stand to say you know to to throw it because they don't have as much weight to throw around and i think the point of this as well is that it's about bigger artists saying you know it's not just about getting money for themselves but it's about making sure that across the whole of the industry that you know the artists are ultimately treated fairly and and it's, it's effectively like a big artist standing up for all of the smaller artists out there and i think that that is a really you know, when it comes to negotiating how things kind of pan out in this brand brave new world of streaming, that um, that the, the people who do have um, clout are effectively using it to ensure the the, the future of yeah. the music industry, which is good. That's really positive. And and in fact, um, Universal aren't the only um, major label doing this. Um, Sony. Uh, in the summer of this year, sold half of its Spotify stake, mm -hmm. um, and that was valued at seven hundred and sixty-eight million dollars, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and the, and I believe shared it with did share it with its artists. Um, yeah, so it's sold half its its stake, and, and it has again yeah. it shared it with its artists. Um, Warner, um, which is um, the other kind of other major one, yeah, other major label, um, has. Um, 
also sold some of its stake in Spotify um, and gave the, you know, said that it would allocate money to mm. the artists, but it is offsetting it against the money that the art, the artists owe them. Yeah, which um, I, so again, I don't necessarily think is unfair. Like that money is 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 owed, and and the the artist is effectively getting that money. Like if you if you won ten thousand pounds now, whether you got that in cash or whether they like lopped it off, say like your student loan, that's still money that in the long term is coming back to you. I guess it's about saying to it's about the uh, the label saying to the artists, um, you know, we respect what you're doing, and we respect the fact that. You know, we that, that this is not an easy industry for you to produce the kind of work in that is making us money and that is allowing this industry to be sustainable for the future. Mm. So it's it's a show of support, really. And you know, maybe they don't have to do it at all, mm. but maybe they should be doing it. Yeah, and, and you know, it's it's a it's one of those cases. And and ultimately, the labels have agreed. They've had they have said yes actually we do think that we should be doing this you know they don't have to um but they but they've made the they've made that call and they've said that actually yeah and they can see that this is really important for the for the future of the music industry yeah um so it's not like it's just artists against the labels and like fighting over who should own them you know who should get that money the labels are in, in agreement here ultimately um but this was um this was a real it's it's interesting that that this uh, hard fought over record deal, that this is one of the, we don't know many of the details about this record deal, but- We all, rarely do when all, it comes to All these we things. know is it's a multi-album agreement. Um, this is one of the stipulations. The other is that um, that Taylor Swift will own all of the, will own all of the masters um, that mm -hmm. she makes of, for all of the music that she makes from now on, um, or they'll revert back to her five years after they've um, been, uh, released effectively sure so so that's good for her so, but so there's one there's there's one thing there that's good for her and one thing there that's good for all of the artists um mm. so i'm sure there are lots of artists at universal music group who will probably be incredibly grateful to her yeah for, for, for making sure that that was in there because it is something that that has been rumored and that they've been talking about and thinking about and you know that artists are, are you know unless somebody uses their leverage to ensure ensure that that happens and she has leverage and that's good yeah. the issue that she's using that she recognizes that she is a big deal and not that she's you know she's not trying to like hold them over a barrel or anything like that she's not trying to go in with this with these big th with big demands that would be like negative on mm. the industry. This is this is the whole idea. Is that it's it's about um, doing uh, making a good step in the right direction for more artists. And the fact that they have supported that is good. And because you're right, if it was a, a small artist coming on, they are they have to fight to get with a good yeah. a good label. And and often they don't get the, the the terms that they want. And and therefore they can't turn around and say we want to do we want to do this. And that's why we're seeing a lot of artists who are coming in on on much smaller labels and mm -hmm. and or even launching their own labels and launching their yeah. own music independently, um, because it, they just can't make the money when when Spotify doesn't pay. I don't know what the figure is, but I I know it's it's a really shockingly poor amount. If like per stream, like it's 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 such a zero point zero 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 percent per stream they have to have however many thousands of streams in order to in order to get even any money at all um but that's not what we want to talk about because because we didn't we don't a lot of this is is very sort of behind closed doors spotify and and the labels generally don't talk openly about how much money is made 
And so it is sometimes difficult to work out exactly um, how much is changing hands. There's a lot of things where we only kind of hear when certain bands or certain labels will basically try and get a little bit of publicity by, mm. by kicking up a fuss about it. But it's interesting that Taylor has, because she has very publicly um, gone out against Spotify. She also um, criticized um, Apple Music for the amount that it was paying um, fans and, and Apple, yeah. both Apple and Spotify, worked to um, uh, rehash their terms in, in, in line with kind of what she wanted but for all artists, she wasn't. She I, wasn't just trying to do this for her own music. It was also for other artists. I feel like um, the, the the Spotify thing. Obviously, that was a good three years of going back and forth and negotiating there. But mm -hmm. the Apple Music thing was quite extraordinary because that was a turnaround of around twenty four hours when that happened. You know, she that effectively it was when Apple said that it was going to be launching its music service, and during the during the trial period, um, when when uh, people can use the service for free in order to decide whether they want to sign up and pay for it or not. They weren't going to be paying artists that, um, you know, for streams that happen during trial periods, which is kind of outrageous, mm. you know, given, especially given that they are one of the wealthiest companies in the world, um, to say that actually that they were, were not going to be paying artists for their streams during a free trial that they were giving away. It was really, I mean, now, now when you think about it, even I mean, at the time, but like now in retrospect, that seems totally out of order and the the letter I actually didn't know that was the case yeah, yeah. that is absolutely bonkers yeah and the fact that Taylor Swift um wrote this letter and then 24 hours later Eddie Q who was in charge of Apple Music went we hear you uh fine we'll pay you yeah um, that I seems mean, the, a bit of a knee jerk it's almost like they've been caught red-handed and and and, it's, and it they, was, they knew they had to make this quick decision so you know I, I don't see that as a good thing that wasn't like they sat down and negotiated over a period of time that was like oh yeah we tried to get away with this and we can't so let's change it but again it just shows that it really is it's difficult for people to to create that kind of change in the music industry and to you know make stuff happen unless they are a big name and they can guarantee a certain amount of publicity and and it is up to the the bigger artists out there mm. to to stand up and and to set and to make take a stand in these situations and that is not like it's great that when you see artists doing that but i mean it's a terrible precedent to set for the music industry on the whole that like the only way that things will ever get better for artists and and change is if like one person really takes it upon themselves or perhaps a group of, of people take it upon themselves you know i think if the balance was um, more fairly distributed in the first place then it wouldn't it wouldn't be necessary to do that it's almost like the labels want the most money for themselves and power <laughs> that's Shocking. That's a surprising news. Yeah. Thanks for joining us on the Scene at UK podcast, where we bring you the biggest tech <laughs> scoops. <laughs> Moving swiftly on, let's see what I did there. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Samsung Galaxy S10, Katie. Is it that time already? It, it, we're getting close <laughs> to that time, and we have mentioned this phone a couple of times already on the podcast, mm. but we're coming back to it now because we have a new report, and this is coming in from the Wall Street Journal, credible source, mm -hmm. we, might, we might say. Uh, and those guys say that the S10 is going to come in an immense 6.7-inch size, that it will have six cameras, and it will have 5G. What do you think of that? <laughs> well, I mean, it's a tablet. Um, <laughs> That's note size, um, and really. It's, um, it's this whole thing about about more cameras on the back of phones. It reminds me of, like, 
the a few years ago when when phone manufacturers were having that battle to kind of who can put the most megapixels it's exactly the, the same battle yeah and and it's a like it's a like i think it's one of those things that it makes people it's probably i'm not saying that there's no technical benefit to having those six cameras on on a phone but i think it's almost one of those things where it's a it's massive one-upmanship and you know almost trying to persuade people that more is better Certainly and you is. know and what and what we spent a really long time as tech journalists doing during that like megapixel battle was explaining to consumers actually more isn't always better it's not that simple like it's not the only thing that you need to look at when you're deciding on a well, it's not, as, it's not even as simple as that because it's going to be four on the back, two in the front. So we'll have two front-facing cameras and there'll be four cameras uh, on the back. At the mm -hmm. moment, I think the most we've seen on the back in, in, a, in a flagship mainstream phone, I'm not including things like the Amazon Fire phone, which had a billion cameras, um, the Huawei Mate 20 Pro and the, the P20 Pro, they had three cameras and uh, probably others. Um, so yeah, four is four would be four would be quite a lot, and almost yeah. certainly we'll see like different things in terms of zoom, like a, a telephoto mm. zoom, and there'll be um, almost certainly things like three D depth recognition mm -hmm. for like a better um, portrait mode pictures, or even like three D scanning objects and um, that sort of thing. So that'll be that'll be interesting. Um, yeah, six point uh, six point seven inches. That's going to be very, very, very big. That's again in line with a Note um, range. So we're not expecting this to be the only uh, S10 phone. This will probably be the biggest in a range of mm -hmm. S10 phones. Um, there's also had rumors where we may have um, a whole range, including like a budget option, almost like an S10 Lite, going through to the flagship, and then this may be like the max version, the mm -hmm. biggest hyper-powered phone of the range. Five um, G isn't surprising because next year in the UK is when we're going to start seeing 5G launching. EE and Vodafone have both said that it's next year we're going to see 5G mm. launching to consumers. Right now we have already got trials going on. Trials don't count. It's when it actually goes on sale and that is going to be next year mm. in, I think, starting in 20 cities in the country, but it will start to spread. So that's going to be really interesting um, because... It will be at MWC in Barcelona. Um, that's the big mobile showcase where we see all the big brands showing off their new wares. We're going to start seeing a lot more talk about 5G phones and a lot more phones actually going on sale. So it'll be interesting to see 5G launching in that phone, but mm -hmm. not surprising. That's in line with what we expect to see. Um, I mean, I, so when it comes to 5G phones, I expect actually we might start to see some announcements over the next few weeks. Um, yeah. And the reason that I say that is because a lot of the uh, 5G phones will be ha will contain um, uh, Qualcomm's uh, seven nanometer chipset mm -hmm. um, that it's been developing for 5G, and I th and they and Qualcomm's due to make some announcements. I think. Um, over the next few weeks. I don't know specifically what they are, but I imagine they might not announce these specific phones, but they might and they might announce some partnerships um, and, you know, sort of say, we will be seeing 5G phones from these manufacturers specically next year. I don't know if Samsung will be among them. Um, but it I definitely suspect, will. Like, we I know that, that they, they will be. It will definitely be a lot of the Chinese manufacturers. Um, but, uh, but we yeah, we sh I expect that we will start to see... Um, these first 5G handsets in in the flesh, hopefully at Mobile World Congress next mm. year. Um, the the one thing that is going to be really interesting for Samsung specifically, I think, is that um, 
often Samsung is uh, is at the top battling out with Apple to see who can have the most um, exciting flagship phone of the year. And um, hence six cameras. Yes, and w- um, what we d- as as far as we know, um, we might not be getting a five G iPhone next year. Um, in you know, in accordance with the kind of the life the 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 life cycle, the release cycle of, of iPhone. So we could be getting a 5G uh, flagship phone from Samsung, but not from Apple. Um, so if you are one of those people that always wants to get, you know, a flagship phone every year, um, and, you know, you're agnostic when it comes to operating system, um, then this could be a really crucial thing if you see yourself as an early adopter of new technologies, because, you know, it's possible, we don't know for sure, just like to caveat that, um, but you, it might be a choice between getting a 5G phone and an iPhone next year. Um, yeah, but that also, I think it's going to be worth remembering that 5G is exciting as a concept, but 5G doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have suddenly supercharged speed. It's not suddenly everything's going to be faster and, and better quality mm. and and it. 5G goes a little bit beyond that. The way, and I'm not going to get too technical because a lot of this is still a little bit surprisingly theoretical. Mm-hmm. But it's about um, the way it uses the networks is is more. It's talk about bigger bandwidth, so connecting a lot more Internet of Things devices. So as everything you have in your house, your car, your office place is connected from, you know, not just your phone and your laptop, but fridges and light bulbs and and everything else in your house. There's a lot more bandwidth in 5G to support those devices. Mm. So it's not just about suddenly you can stream YouTube 4K even faster. We can already do that now. So things like that isn't going to make a lot of a lot of difference. So yeah. I think at the moment it's important not to get blown away by what inevitably will be that hype around 5G is bigger and better. You have to have 5G. Almost certainly EE, Vodafone, the other networks, when they launch 5G it will be targeted as this is the fastest, the best thing to have. And there's going to be a lot of rhetoric going around about that. But realistically, in certainly in the early days, that isn't necessarily going to mean you have you have got the best service. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of things we don't know about how well that signal is going to penetrate into like rural areas, something that apparently 5G will help with because mm-hmm. of the way that the sing- signals work. So there's a lot of unknowns. Basically, what I'm saying right now is like if that battle between Samsung on potentially 5G and Apple potentially not being on 5G is not necessarily one is going to be faster. This is very true, and I I think that the, for the majority of people, I don't I don't think that 5G will or 5G contract will necessarily be something that you will either want to pay for um, mm. or that you um, will feel like you need maybe for another two to three years realistically. Um, yeah. And you know it's important to remember that 5G is built on a base of 4G. Um, you know you can the the um, 4G is also improving, and mm. um, 4G is getting better um, all the time. Um, and that the um, the adva- LTE advanced contracts out there, you know, the ones that are offering really really high speeds, you know, probably are going to be equally as desirable for a while as 5G. Yeah, and the services that you use won't won't ca- immediately catch up to demanding those speeds in the same way as. You know, Netflix now on the go, you it support you can you can now use get much better quality video and you can stream it very comfortably. But those services weren't really designed for phones and apps mm. when 4G first launched. Anyway, it's only as it's developed and, pe- and more people have it that those services become available. The same thing will happen. So it's one of those things that isn't you may not necessarily need mm. to be an early adopter. Back to the phone though, 
will it fold? Because, of course, we were talking <laughs> last time about Samsung's foldable phone, which mm. it showed off and will be an official product. We believe, no, that is going to be a second product line. We're not going to see the S10 as the first in the a foldable line of smartphones. Instead, the, the foldable phone will probably be the Galaxy X or the Galaxy F, um, and that will almost certainly be a product line launching alongside the Galaxy S line of phones, yeah. which makes sense because that is another one of Samsung's, I'm going to say gimmicks. I don't necessarily mean that in a disparaging way. I was going to way. say experimental concepts. Experimental concepts <laughs> is fine. Again, like, you know, we talked about last time with the Galaxy K Zoom, their camera phone, oh, and they yeah. had their their curved, not bendy, but curved um, phone um, before now. So, yeah. Um, I'm was that not LG or did Samsung? Samsung did one too. Okay. Samsung, LG, I think ATC may have had one. There, there are a few and, and thankfully they went away pretty quickly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're going to we're gonna obviously keep our eye very, very closely on Samsung's mm -hmm. Galaxy S10 uh, and the foldable phone and of course uh, 5G developments. Um, I would be interested actually um, to know how excited our audience is, podcast listeners or watchers, how how keen you are to get 5G and how you think it's going to make a difference. So if you do have any thoughts on that, please do let us know. Um, the email address is seen at ukpodcast at cbsi.com um, or you can tweet Katie Collins or Battery HQ um, if you'd rather do it that way. Um, genuinely do want to know what you think about that, so please do um, tell us. But I think we should move on to something a little bit more festive, and that, of <laughs> course, is Netflix. Yes. Who apparently have a good line in soppy Christmas films. They do. Um, some of them have already been released. Uh, some of them are still to be released over the over the coming weeks. Um, for example, if you were a fan of um, last year's The Christmas Prince, uh, I think that there is a sequel lined up to uh, that should be coming out sometime over the next week. Uh, on that, but there are also a whole range of other Christmas movies that well, should be um, should be uh, either available to you now or coming soon. The big one that they're plugging at the moment yes. is the Princess Switch. It is. Now we watched that over the weekend with um, ex of this show Luke Westaway, um, and I'm going to say it, it's not exactly a corker of a film. <laughs> I mean, I I would say it's deeply flawed, um, <laughs> and and deeply flawed. Can you imagine <laughs> that on the poster? Um, but I, I do think you know I've I've I'm currently writing my review of this, and I have said that I think while it's kind of a botched attempt at a Christmas rom com, um, and it has many faults. I do think that there is a strong argument for maybe sticking this on the telly on Christmas Day um, as a sort of cross-generational people pleaser. <laughs> I don't think, I think for kids, I think that they might not notice a lot of the inconsistencies and uh, uh, <laughs> weirdness that adults might pick up on. Adults, uh, we, uh, as we were watching it, I think we had a really good time just laughing at some of the ridiculousness. The whole concept is flawed. As a basic spoiler-free premise, it, it's a baker attending a baking competition in a town or a country. It's where, a, where, a small European country called Belgravia. Called, yeah, which, which is effectively supposed to be like Monaco, I, I think, where it's basically yeah. a principality. And, and in this town where this baking competition is happening that there's a princess due to marry a prince but she's not a princess she's a duchess oh so, she's a duchess so the princess of the title is Doesn't, not actually a princess yeah no so she's actually a duchess um, and the princess and baker find out they look identical and decide to 
switch hilarity ensues now i yeah i did say that this is it is charming in that it's just it's very nice and, and it's and it's just a bit silly but vanessa hudgens gives a great performance in both of the lead roles yeah neither of whole, which are a princess it, <laughs> it, it it's just very i don't know if it's poorly done or if it's intentionally done to be a little bit silly for example like they oh the the, the they go to uh, Wembley Studios to film things and like, like Wembley Studios to try and make it English even though it's not supposed to be England and there's, there's, there's bad English accents all over the place and, and weirdness oh it, it it's I, all over the place. I, I really think that this is one of those shows uh, one of those films sorry that like in the in the age of like made for TV specials in America the, the Disney Channel would have got away with this and nobody would have questioned it because it would have been made for American audiences and, you know, a lot of Americans might not have been to Europe, so they might not know what Europe's like. But in this age of streaming where they're pushing it as hard to European audiences as American audiences and, you know, there's it's you know there's more international travel going on these days as well, I think that their depiction of Europe is totally overblown and ridiculous. <laughs> and it's the most, like, it's so American and twee that, like, I... I, I just it's it's very kind of hard to believe it is um, we said at the time one of the the main house where they stay in it looks just like they've just taken one of their western um sets one of their western movie sets and just blasted it with a snow cannon for 20 minutes <laughs> and because, hung some candy and hung, yeah because it. it's a it's a total like american ranch house sort of thing <laughs> but they're just dressed it up to try and look like some swiss mountain town chalet and it doesn't work yeah um that's one of that is but frankly the least of my concerns with yeah. the film but it is it, it is charming i highly recommend giving it a watch because it's funny in its awfulness in a sense um but i do suggest watching it with a group of friends where you want to feel a little bit festive if you're a student in halls and you want to get everyone together and watch a movie and you've all seen uh, home alone too many times and like me you don't agree but die hard is a christmas film pop this on but have a good few drinks with it it's definitely one that i think a certain amount of beer and wine will improve it dramatically it Likewise, did for us anyway I, I think you know if you're a family and you're watching it on christmas day like i say i think the kids will like it i think the parents will laugh at it and the grandparents can happily fall asleep during it and yeah. d- won't have missed anything can't have so. sherry too many <laughs> with this one um but what about a different film because you've been to see Fantastic Beasts yes. 2 recently. Yes. So while I suspect that the Princess Switch was something of a low-budget f- effort for for a Netflix film, this is like the opposite end of the spectrum. You think more money was spent on this? <laughs> Fantastic sure. Beasts 2 is, it's kind of, it's got a real epic sort of sense to it it's you know before we go on sorry to interrupt you we're going spoiler free here aren't we just in case anyone is switching off it's spoiler free because i haven't seen this either i will need to be careful yes i will concentrate on what i'm saying if you spoil this for me Um, then we're but we've we've got so on cnet we've got a spoiler free review that you can read and then we've got a piece that i've written which is all of the uh outstanding questions um that the film threw up for me which there were a lot of things that I, I was left wondering about at the end um, that, you know, does contain spoilers. So if you have seen the film, then um, maybe check that list out and see if you agree. Um, because I was left feeling a little bit confused and frustrated at the end of it. Um, so if you are a Harry Potter fan and also felt like that, then you might find some some uh, questions on those lists. What frustrated you the most? If you can say without mm, spo- Can you not okay. say? Um, oh, you yeah, know, I think I probably can say. 
So I feel like oh, actually, can I? Let's not let's not risk it. Let's let's go let's let's go a different a different way then. And did you enjoy it? Uh, did you enjoy it as a Harry Potter fan? And mm. would you enjoy it as someone new? Like, would you recommend it to anyone who's new to the franchise? No, okay. I wouldn't. Um, because I think that it relies on a lot of knowledge of like past films. Okay. Um, I also don't think that it necessarily, like I think if, you, if you've watched the first one, I think you should probably be fine and you have a vague idea of Harry Potter, then you probably okay watching it, but like don't watch it on its own. And I no. think that that is probably, I did find it enjoyable. Like I didn't, I did enjoy the process of watching it, but it's not one of those films that you would ever just be like, oh, we'll stick Crimes of Grindelwald on the telly. Like, you know, you yeah. can just watch it as a standalone thing. And I think that actually, if you, if you are going to create a film like this and spend that much money on it, I actually don't, I think that you should be able to watch it as a standalone And thing. I do that with the other Harry Potter films. Yeah, yeah, I do less as well. So, less so with um, Deathly Hallows 1 and 2, but with some of the other ones, I will happily pop certainly Prisoner of Azkaban because I think that one out of all of them is the story that stands up on its own mm. the most. But the other ones, I mean, yeah, it's obviously still following the same the same general mm. overarching plot, but it's still got its own distinct beginning, middle and end. Exactly, and I think it also really helps that you know, they did, uh, the, the stories are very distinct and they had different directors uh, pr for each of the different films mm. um, so that you kind of have like a different thing kind of going on. And actually that inconsistency doesn't really matter because the, the you know, if you know anything about Harry Potter, you know the, how, how much the story changes and how, how it gets really, how it gets much darker Yeah. Um, as it goes on. And so the kind of... Um, the more childlike uh, qualities that the first first two films have, both in terms of the storyline and the production values, I think really, really shifts mm. later on and it allows the stories to stand up on their own. This is not a film that will stand up on its own, I don't think. I would like to be proved wrong <laughs> in future. I genuinely, I wanted to like this more than I did. And I think I enjoyed it, but fundamentally, it is not a good film. Damning thoughts. Um, so we shall leave it on that note. Obviously, Fantastic Beast Two is out now, I yes, believe. It is. Um, it's out now. And I mean, I think it's one of those things that even if 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 you're if you're a Potter fan already, even being told it's not a good film, you're still going to go and see it because yeah, you want to. Because you want to. Like, why do. wouldn't you? Unless yeah. unless you've been told for some reason it's so terrible it's not worth your money no. like you'll still see it at some yeah. point but and, it, and it's it's beautiful it's high budget the you know the sets the costumes um the creatures you know the, there's still a lot to admire in there is there another cute steely sort of um moly the nifflers, from, the nifflers. The first, from the first fantastic beast film make a return and kind of play a crucial role in the plot oh. um I, I think the nifflers, go and watch it to find out what that is the nifflers are a highlight okay that's good to know yeah um let's move on uh very quickly um before we end on a little talk about um our favorite iphone games now i want to talk about this because we got chatting about this earlier in the day and maybe realize that we don't really talk about um iPhone games at all on a podcast. Mm. I talk at great length, as you'll know, about some of the AAA console titles like Red Dead Redemption 2, which I've now talked about three episodes in a row and is still brilliant, by the way, and my horse, Mary Cloppins, is fantastic. Um, but I want to talk about mobile games a little bit because we've both had our noses firmly stuck in a couple mm -hmm. of games for yep. weeks and weeks and weeks now, months, in fact, for me. Um, but why don't you start and tell us about your game? 
Um, yes, so I've been playing a game called uh, Home Design. Uh, <laughs> Home Design. And um, I found out about this because my one of um, one of our editors in the US, Leslie Katz, wrote a brilliant piece about how she'd become uh, really uh, obsessed with it. And it sounded great. And so I decided that I would download it and also have a go. Um, and I will link to the piece in, um, in the story and in the show notes. Do you mean but, I will? Yes. Um, but uh, ultimately, this is a game that is, um, it's, it, it kind of is, does what it says on the tin. You design homes. I mean, you design specific rooms. No creative name, rooms. is it, for a creative no. game? Um, it's very uh, descriptive, I suppose. Um, but the, um, yeah, it's, it's a sort of a, a com- it, 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 there's a competitive element to it. So you design a room um, and it's judged against other rooms um, that, you know, have you've been given a kind of a, a blank slate, as it were, and a, and, and a concept, um, a little storyline about about people that perhaps live there. So like um, it's going to be a Alpine chalet retreat yes. or... or- Manhattan uh, stylish apartment. I might try and pull some of the descriptions up actually because they are really rather good. But, but you um, place you place furniture and you place art and you place um, other decorations in and those I believe all the decorations, all the furniture and stuff, they are actually real products and real designers, yes. real stores. So everything you're creating could be made yeah this is correct um but it's not sponsored by any it's not like it's not ikea's no, I, game I, I, no it's not it's not kind of created or sort of officially sponsored but i think certain challenges um are sponsored by um certain interior decor companies and as a very amateur um home uh decor enthusiast i don't actually know a lot about the companies so i couldn't really tell no. you you know I'm, I'm new to i'm new to interior design but there may be like a habitat challenge where habitats like you know you know decorate this room all but without anything from our catalog yeah um, um habitat is like the only place i could think of that wasn't john lewis here's here one um here, here was one and um, it was you had to design a kid's room in queensland in australia and the brief was to design a giraffe themed bedroom for a little girl um, which You'd was, like that. Which was one of my uh, favourite challenges. Um, the, here was another one. Uh, this was th- they can get quite specific. So this one was you needed to de- needed to design a living room in Edinburgh, Scotland, style style a modern study for a lepidopterist. I think that's how you say it. Moving into her new home in Edinburgh, Scotland. A I um, had to had to Google that, and it was um, I think it's somebody stu- who studies butterflies. Um, so yeah, like they can get really like specific. Um, so yeah, um, I really like I, I I love this game. I find it like really kind of meditative. I usually do like one or two challenges a day. You get like a daily reward for kind of going in. And how do going you win then checking, these challenges? Like how what's so the people, what's people the game? Will, people will vote. Um, to like decide you know whether whether you and you get a kind of overall you get um, a, a score out of five stars um, and if you get over four stars you get certain prizes you get more furniture and um, if you get five stars you get even bigger prizes um, and you know for each you get also five stars for each, every time um, no I've only had a couple of five stars it's really hard to get five stars um, for um, for each of the uh, challenges you also earn money for your duties. Real money. For your services, no, um, as an interior designer. So, cool. um, you know, I am not one for gaming that much, but when, you know, when there is something like this, then I quite mm. take this to it. It's more of a creative challenge than it, it is, is a game. Yeah. Like the gaming element is, is pretty minimal. Yeah. Um, 
you just want to design a really nice looking room. And I think that's cool. And, and I do like that it, it's it's brand agnostic in the sense that it's not, it's a sort of game that I, I can really see IKEA have mm. made, given that they do basically have that technology already. They use it so yeah. you can they design your room. reality. Yeah. yeah, and you can design rooms using their mm. stuff so you can see what things look like. But gamifying it, um, seems like a really, really cool idea. I feel um, like it's um, free, isn't it? It is I mean, free. It's on iOS and on Android. Uh, it's um, you know you can obviously pay to buy more stuff um, within the game. I've paid a little bit. I would say no more than ten pounds maximum, and so, I've been uh, playing it for a few months. So yeah, you, you've definitely so, got that value, and yeah. I think it's good with with any any game that's free to play like that. I on one hand, I'm always loathed to give in to any like pop-ups and anything mm. like that that's like you know basically means pay to win if you want to actually play any more than you've got to pay oh yeah but on the other hand when i when i find a game that i enjoy and i sink a lot of hours in i will pay what i believe i should have paid or maybe would have paid if i'd have bought this for the amount of hours i've played yeah um there are games like uh true skates like a skateboarding game on the iphone which i play I would love to know how many, much I played because I reckon I've played that in the certainly in the hundreds of hours, if not thousands, because I will play that at least an hour mm. every single day on my commutes um, and have done for the last several years. Is is that the game that you were wanted to tell us about? Or no, it isn't that game. Specific That's that another wanna, game. I, no, I wanted to talk about um, Asphalt 9, okay. which is uh, Gameloft's, uh, it's their big high-profile um, racing series. And they... Asphalt 9 came out, Asphalt 9 Legends, I believe it's called, came out a good few months ago now, but I've been playing it pretty solidly since it came out, and it is brilliant. It's so much fun. I did like the Asphalt series before, but not as much as I've enjoyed this one. It's, I don't know what it is. I mean, one, it looks brilliant, um, but the gameplay is a little bit easy because it has these, like, auto-drive functions. Basically, it's a car racing game. Like I was going to ask. <laughs> it's a car racing game. Yeah. But there is, like, these auto-drive functions where instead of having to focus on, like, tilting the phone to get it just right, which can be a little difficult to do on if you're playing on your commute, mm -hmm. um, it does the driving for you, and you sort of decide the routes you want to take. There's always mm -hmm. different routes, and if you want to sort of take this route, which will take you on a particular jump, and you earn, like, basically... Um, extra speed for the tricks or if you want to go and get like a um, a bottle of, of nitrous which will make you go faster you know it's a bit more tactics rather than it is about skill at racing but it is a game which is it's free to play and is fundamentally revolves around um, the money making part of it is you know do you want to buy like card packs to get new cars do you want to pay to upgrade certain cars but you can do all of that without paying a penny should you want to you can get it's more difficult and certainly more time consuming but you can but you can do it and i actually think they've got a really good balance in not like blasting you constantly with oh buy this and it's this much money and you know i, I think they've got a good balance i played plenty mm -hmm. of games which certainly ea games um who have historically been really bad with this sort of thing where it's really like if you want to do anything in this game you've got to pay money they're they're real suckers for the whole oh if uh you know in SimCity, for example, you wanted to, a building to be built immediately, then spend like five quid or whatever for it to be done, or, mm. or wait three days in real time for it to be done. Um, so I think they've done really good. It's a lot of fun to play, and it, you really kind of, for me, I, I feel committed to wanting to unlock more cars, and when you do, I want to actually play, I want to I build them up. Um, and there's a good multiplayer thing as well, where it matches you with other real players around the world, and I think okay. that's good as well, because 
I often I don't have that in a lot of games. There isn't a lot of a multiplayer element, but a racing game obviously makes a lot of sense. And I think they've got a good balance of how they match you up with other people. I, I tend to be able to come first or second on some, and some of them I will come seventh or eighth. And it's almost got like that Mario Kart thing where you can be doing really, really well the whole race, and then someone takes you down because there is that, you know, you can crash into people and take them out of the race, and then suddenly you're in the last place. And it is really annoying, mm. but in a way that you kind of want to keep playing, again, like Mario Kart, where two laps you're in first place and right as you're about to cross the finish line someone hits you with a shell and you're back at the end which is annoying but it's kind of fun in the same way yeah i guess it it's just like there's always everything to play for yeah which is a nice feeling yeah but it's great yeah and i say it's free it's on ios and it's on android it looks great um i, I think it's probably quite demanding i'm playing on an iphone 10 and i've been using it as my um, benchmark game on uh, a lot of the other flagships and it plays really really well I haven't played it on a really low end Android phone so I'm, I'm not sure if it will run particularly well because it is so glossy there are so many swooshing effects and light things mm. and all kinds of um, other things going on so um, I suspect it's probably for higher end phones only but it's definitely worth checking out if you are after a um, a racing game. The only downside that I do have is that you do need an internet connection to play it. So, Oh and that's same for um design home oh it's the same for that yeah, yeah and I, I find that a little frustrating if you're on the tube a lot but um, I tend not to go underground as much anymore because I'm not a womble so there we go <laughs> two games that are great and if you want to spend some time away from your family at Christmas um, and just having a bit of gaming then those are good ones to go for but that does bring us to a close thank you very much Katie for joining us do remind us where people can get in contact with you directly should they want to uh, you can uh, tweet me to chat about tech or other things I don't really mind uh, dogs giraffes yeah uh, I've, I've got a wide variety of interests um, at Katie Collins on Twitter and Instagram oh yeah you can find me on Instagram at an unfamiliar sky an unfamiliar sky an unfamiliar sky <laughs> um, or not uh, you can find me with at battery HQ on uh, Twitter and Instagram give me give me a follow on Instagram I prefer it on there I don't tend not to use Twitter all that much these days but of course you can get in touch with the show uh, with seen at UK podcast at cbsi.com please do we would love to hear your thoughts on all of today's topics or indeed any other tech topic you want to chat to us about we will read out your email if you want us to or if we want to um, both um, so yeah do keep the conversation coming and if you are watching on YouTube then please make sure to like and leave your comments below and subscribe for more and otherwise we will see you next time <laughs>